0: Welcome to Sacred Realms. Ah! It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lynn Willoughby, joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby, for our final regular episode of Season 4, A Link to the Past, or at least our final recap, uh, individual, no, individual recap episode. Go. Like, we'll have, you know, we'll have the overall game recap episode next week. I think but... that classifies as the last normal episode, because the recap episodes aren't exactly normal. Well, I'm, I'm just saying we're we're at the end of a thing. Yeah, we're at the end of the thing. Yeah,
1: we're, we're the of the thing. It's the uh, it's the what's the what's the word what's the word? There's a word. Uh, Listen, next episode
2: you're not running through the actual sacred realms steps like you usually do.
1: Therefore, it's not normal. It's the penultimate episode. That's the fancy five syllable word I was looking for. I mean, no lies detected. It is indeed the penultimate episode of season four. So. It's kind of a shame. A sh- I am a little bit ashamed that it took me so long to get the word penultimate out from my uh, the depths of my memory. But there we go. I
2: got it. Mrs. Bowers is disappointed in you.
1: Yes, she is. Most likely. Although she did love my AP English paper. And she was shocked that I only got a three on my AP English exam. And so was I. Those judges
0: were blind. Matt, it is is past 830 at night and you just came off of a marathon plot recap typing session. That's true. Nobody nobody can fault you for kind of losing a word there in the thought stream for a second. I appreciate that. It is nine
1: o'clock at night in uh, in North Texas. It's a little bit chilly outside, but uh, had to get the creative juices flowing and, uh, you know, We had some good times writing this plot recap, and we're ready to go. It's a great episode. It's a great plot recap. Uh, It was a great game. And uh, as you heard, no doubt, from the third un- somewhat unique voice that just came over the God, microphone, yeah, we have can,
0: all three Willoughby brothers here today. <laughs> yeah, if you can actually distinguish all three voices from one another, then good for you. We're told that that's kind of difficult to do. Um, our, our Destiny clan has uh, constantly lamented
1: that we cannot be on the same fire team because no one can tell who's saying what, so... They do, uh, they know, do whatever, say that. Whatever.
0: Yes, they say that. Um, but anywho, uh, in the way of an official introduction, we're welcoming back onto the podcast for his third? Second. second. Well, two and a half. Second he did. He was on and a bonus. And a half. I,
2: I was a, I was a passive observer he was earlier the peanut in the gal- season. He
0: was the peanut gallery earlier okay, this season. That's fair. So his second official appearance on Sacred Realms a Zelda retrospective podcast, Jackson Willoughby, welcome. What's
2: up, y'all? Wow. Sorry, I'm busy pouring scotch right now.
0: He's a man of many uh, words. I've He's... got
2: so much going on right now. I'm talking to people, pouring scotch, and smoking a cigar. Lots
1: happening. Not, not, not the great multitasker is Jackson Willoughby, but that's okay. We love him for his. Uh, it is a
0: few. It is a few things to be managing all at once, and of course, um, all of those things: stogies, whiskey, us talking to each other in person, uh, should tell you that for the first time in several weeks, we are actually gathered once again around ye old table of podcasting to do this in person. The last few have been um, have been remote in some fashion or another. I don't think that we've recorded an in person episode since. Uh, were you were you here in person when we did Ice Palace with Cody and Malora? Max and Malora. Uh, yeah, Max and Malora.
1: Nope, uh, I was at my apartment for Max and Malora, and so it was the one before that. Then it was when we were with Ben.
0: Okay, all right. Sweet. Skull Woods. So, so yeah, it's been it's, it's been, been since several. Skull Woods. Yeah, Gargoyles domain. No, we did Skull Woods with Ben.
1: Uh, gar- well, We then, did Gargoyles domain with, with, Mike. with Mike, and yeah. I was here for that one. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Editing yeah. Mike incoming.
1: Nah, we'll just leave no it alone. edit. We, but- we, we can, we've learned to just let it flow naturally. <laughs> you know, in a first, in yeah. the first season of the show, we probably would have been like, pause, cut back, and then make this super clean. But at this point, everybody knows that our thoughts flow randomly, not unlike yeah, a weird yeah, Spirit yeah. Tracks train. And, and so. Jackson,
0: what Jackson's getting at is that he was present in person, listening in on the Max and Melora episode, even though he was not. was not an active contributor um, on that one. So, but anywho, yes, this is a thing that we haven't been able to do in a while for for a variety of reasons, um, people not feeling well, people being on vacation, um, you know, late nights, uh, Matt living further away than he used to. Lots and lots of things, but we're back at it like a bad habit tonight, and it feels good. But I would classify this as a good habit, Lyndon. I well, would say yeah, this but, is that's the, but that's not that. But that's not the saying. No,
2: no, it's not. Well, okay. Eh,
1: fair you enough. don't
2: come back at it like a good habit because those are like exercise workout regimens and – That takes discipline. Exactly. This is something you come back to because you're just like addicted to it. You love it.
1: Bad habits. But in a good way for this one. It's it's It's, like a
0: lover. You're 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 missing the point. It's so good. (laughs) It's it's like a lover. You're missing the point. (laughs) Regardless, we got a full crew here tonight. Um, Jackson, we're very excited to have you back. I know that we've been trying to make this happen for a while. You had to get caught up on the game, which um, I'm led to believe that you kind of did in somewhat of a marathon sitting right like you powered through a lot of game in a short span of time
2: about a week and a half yeah luckily these top-down Zeldas it's not super difficult to do that luckily because the map is a lot smaller you know trying to marathon a game like a uh, Ocarina of Time or dude know, trying to trying to marathon Skyward Sword would have been a or, little bit or difficult Twilight Princess even you know something like yeah. that it's Some just those larger map games yeah, yeah wouldn't really work but Link to the Past you know those top-down Zeldas Works great, especially being on the Switch now
1: that you can just take it wherever you want. It's well, awesome. and and one thing I have noticed specifically about A Link to the Past is like the dungeons, if you don't do side questy things, it's literally just like back to back to back the whole time. And you don't really have to take too much of a break from the main course of the game to go and do much else. So theoretically... You really could beat this game fairly quickly if you wanted to, like, I'm sure this game is a speedrunner's best friend because you really could just go boom, 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 boom all the way through and and not worry too terribly much about uh, getting off the beaten path.
2: Yeah, for sure. Plus, I tested positive for COVID about two weeks ago, so I spent three days in a hotel room. What else was I going to do other other than than play play Zelda?
0: Zelda?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what what else do you do when you're quarantining is just you play some Zelda.
0: But he's feeling better now.
1: Well, that's for sure. I never felt bad in the first place, but that's besides the point. That is the benefit of modern day uh, medicine, a.k.a. vaccinations. Get your vaccines, kids. Yes, we are pro-vaccination on this podcast. If you're not... Sorry, I don't know what to say.
0: He got better. He got, (laughs) I I got better. (laughs) I feel happy, I feel happy. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, Jackson, real quick, since we haven't had you on this season, will you give us a quick recap? Um, You have not played Link to the Past any time before this time, correct? Absolutely not. And the only top-down Zelda game that you've played other than now Link to the Past is Link's Awakening, correct? And Minish Cap. Okay. Cool. Oh, good. You did play Minish Cap. Good. That's a good one. Okay. Sweet. So yeah, um, I would say between Link's Awakening and The Link to the Past, you've got a pretty, a pretty good grounding in what most people would consider to be the top two top down Zelda games.
1: Okay. And I think we would consider really Minish Cap, Link to the Past, and Link's Awakening as the. Primo trilogy of top down Zeldas the, the the top 3 the Mount Rushmore of top down Zeldas I would, if you would I would
0: uh, personally I would put a Link Between Worlds in there as well but we'll we'll get back around to that at a, at a later date <laughs> Well luckily mean, luckily Mount Rushmore has four heads so you can put Oh Link, well there you a go. Link Between Worlds on there too That's fair So before we get into the uh, Sacred Realms rundown for this week Jackson talk about the section game that we played this week I would like for you to spend a minute back up real quick and give us your overall impressions about this game, kind of like as you were playing through it. You know, what were your thoughts on it? Were you enjoying yourself? Um, Have you listened to our episodes on the topic?
2: Yeah, yeah. I've listened to almost all except for the last one or two. I usually save podcasts listening for when I'm driving. Um, But my overall impressions throughout this game can be summed up pretty much in man, this is fun. I wish it was Link's Awakening. (laughs) Ha! 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 and that's about where I'm at with it right it's like you know good game but like the quality improvements that link's awakening made with directional movement and item management uh and some character development with secondary characters is just so much superior to link's a link to the past that you're kind of like
0: ah yeah and the funny the funny thing is so that you know in fairness jackson has only played the remastered version of Link's Awakening on the Switch. However, all of those things you just mentioned as being pros of Link's Awakening over Link to the Past are true on both versions anyway. So, um, And
1: also mimic almost word for word what I said about when you asked me my general impressions about halfway through this game. So,
2: Listen, I chose my wording carefully as to not make it seem as though I only said that because I played the remastered version. I knew for a fact that all of those improvements had been made to both versions, the original and the updated version, because... You talked about it on the podcast,
1: so, so let's let's actually let's let's take two steps back here and pair it down. Right, Wait, we
0: already took one step back, so are we now three steps back? No, two steps total. So one more step. Gotcha.
1: So, uh, so we're, let's pair it back here and just look at base game, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to look at graphics because that's that's a, in my opinion, graphical consideration is important. But like when you're comparing one game against another, when they're so, especially like a remastered versus a not remastered, you have to look at them at, at their. Building blocks, right?
0: Well, and I would argue too that the graphical style of A Link to the Past is one of the things that holds up the best about it.
1: So. I, I, I actually agree. So, you know, looking at the games overall and removing some of the things that the remaster of Link's Awakening on the Switch did, like adding the uh, the the dungeon builder or something like that, or you know, even if you remove the color dungeon, Who cared about um, the. Dungeon builder, though. Yeah, I mean, some people did. I didn't particularly. And removing, like, the the cool effects that they did with mimicking um, game panning versus actual game panning uh, like A Link to the Past has. So, so you remove some of the cool, like, high-tech stuff that they did. And you just look at the games as they are. They're, the building blocks that they're on. And I, I would still argue that Link to the Past or Link's Awakening is in my personal opinion, a more polished, better game for, you know, reasons such as The Rock's feathers, such as diagonal slashing, such as being able to move on more than a one-by-one, you know, XY plane. And, like, I think that Link's Awakening takes so many things that are really phenomenal. And and I'm not saying this to say that Link to the Past is a bad game, because when we get to the recap episode, I'm going to have a lot of really great things to say about this game. But I just think that a Link's, Link's Awakening took everything good about A Link to the Past and just made it better. And like, that's what you should expect from a sequel, which Link's Awakening is a direct sequel. It's the same link, it's like set directly after. So Link's Awakening accomplished exactly what it was supposed to. And that's all to say. Huge props to Link's Awakening, not detracting anything at all from Link to the
0: Past. So I'm I want to have a a more involved discussion about Link's Awakening and my thoughts on it versus a Link to the Past in the recap episode. So I'm going to table that for now, but I I think we're all you know we we all seem to be about on a page with uh with that and jackson you certainly seem to agree but let's remove Link's awakening from the discussion um i mean give us some impressions of this game especially as like you were playing it like in the early days of you playing it and then as you went further and the dungeons got more complex
2: yeah i i thought it was a good game um so even though you uh, prefer one game over the other doesn't mean it's bad uh i really liked a links to the past uh but i thought that the combat was a bit tricky. And was very punishing, especially early on in the game when you had so few hearts and enemies did so much damage. So, as Matt is in astonishment by the scotch that I bought us, uh, that we went in on together. Thank you. Um, Yeah, no, I thought it was a lot of fun once you started to learn and once you got more items. Uh, But once you were out of the intro section of the game, before you got some really good items like the cloak, uh, it was really really tough right once you get things like the cloak and and the magic that you can use to like wipe an entire room at a time Mm -hmm. you know once you got those it was a lot a little bit quite a lot easier but before then it was really really challenging
1: and last thing i want to say before i i will also table this topic for myself so that i have a lot to say on the on the recap episode next week is that I think the items that you can get in A Link to the Past are some of the best items that you can get in any Zelda game. I think it's got a huge, diverse portfolio of very useful items that can be used in a lot of different ways. Well, and some of them are, are straight are a lot of
0: broken, bond. right? Yeah, oh, like, absolutely.
1: Easily. There's like There is no reason for the Magic Cape to exist in any Zelda game ever again
2: because it makes every boss fight totally easy. No. So when I was playing through the final dungeon, which we'll get to later, I was thinking half the items that you are using right now you don't even need to complete the dungeon or to beat the game, but it just makes it like 10 times easier. Yeah,
0: no, <laughs> I it's totally, ridiculous. totally so, agree. This question is only for Jackson because, Matt, you and I will be getting into this next week. But uh, are you prepared to uh, pick a favorite dungeon at this point, Jackson? Mm. Yeah, I actually think this one probably mm. uh, takes it just because
2: one. it combines, you know, some of your favorite bosses from the previous ones. And or least favorite. <laughs> or or least favorite, but the silver arrows make them a lot easier. That's for sure. <laughs> but uh, it, the puzzles combined with the combat plus the items meant that you could actually enjoy the combat. And it meant that trying to work on the puzzles while having the laser shooting statues shoot at you wasn't quite as terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I think this one probably takes it. Plus, you know, the grandeur of standing outside of the castle was... Really cool watching the stairs fall down. Uh, overall, the whole aesthetic of it, I really liked it. It reminded me a lot of uh, a lot of the Spirit Temple, the way that it looked from the outside, at least. You know, it was that limestone-y color, um, you know, those kind of gray tan tones and the, the, Im- the imposingness of the building, you know, gave me that vibe. when You're standing outside the Spirit Temple in Ocarina of Time. It was like, wow,
1: you know. I can kind of see that, but I will totally agree that the and, and again we're gonna get into this later, so I don't want to go too much into this, but the the entrance cinematic isn't exactly the right word. But the entrance sequence and you know breaking the barrier, the staircase coming, you know, down to you, all that stuff, really, really cool, especially for a game of this era and this uh pixelation style and, and art style is just like it was very, very well done.
0: Clearly we all have got a lot to say about this. I think I think we're actually gonna have a lot to talk about in this one. So it's probably best if we just go ahead and get straight straight into it. Before we do that, however, let's get some housekeeping out of the way. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of the Legend of Zelda one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week we play a new section of a Zelda game, then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If if you want more sacred realms in your life you can head over to patreon.com sacred realms pod to get access to bonus episodes write in listener mail vote on what game we play next and so much more if you are on the patreon and you are subbed to the big gorn sword tier you should now be in possession of all trading cards up through november december and january's cards will be revealed next week And I'll be uh, sending those out together, um, so that'll make for a total of three A Link to the Past cards, um, all told, which is uh, pretty good for you people who wanted more of those than Skyward Sword. Um, Also, uh, just a quick note on the Patreon – Uh, bonuses, voting on what game we play next, all that stuff. As we've said in previous episodes, um, we do have a slight change to our format coming up soon. After next week's episode, we are going to be going on a month and a half-ish long hiatus, uh, during which time we will be playing the next game that we're going to cover, which is Breath of the Wild, getting episodes saved up, giving ourselves time to play that in the way in which it deserves. And then we will be back in the spring with season five, Breath of the Wild. It'll be different than what we've done before, not completely entirely different, but uh, different just by necessity because Breath of the Wild is such a different game from what we've been playing, which will take up a lot of the content that we will be covering. Uh, and just want to say that I started my playthrough of Breath of the Wild uh, two nights ago. I got back into the Great Plateau, and let me tell you what, getting back into that game feels like slipping into a warm bath. It is wonderful.
1: Yeah, it's, I, uh, it's a fantastic feeling to get back into Breath of the Wild. I have a lot of opinions about it, but uh, we'll save that for season five.
2: I was going to quote Lyndon until he took half of the quote away from me. To quote Lyndon, it's like slipping, slipping back into a warm bath hey, with hey, a glass hey, you know, of we, bourbon. We,
1: we can't say the rest of that quote because it's in Appropriate for this non-explicit podcast. I wasn't
2: going to say the final part, guys. Jeez. Oh, okay.
1: Well, fair enough. <laughs> I know that this is a podcast. Goodness. And we're, we're trying very hard to stay away from that little E. That's why I have to get bleeped so much.
0: Mm-hmm. Last thing before we get into the Sacred Realms rundown, I believe that we have got... Matt, who's tickled pink over here, I believe that we've got a five-star review pulled up (laughs) that he's ready to let off the chain, so go for that, Matt. I do. From Vaca Pequeña, which, thank you so much for the five-star review,
1: great banter and insight on the Zelda series. These guys are always so enjoyable to listen to, as well as all the different types of guests they consistently have on the show. I just finished finishing... Wow, I just finished listening to all the episodes so far at work, and now the once-a-week episode's release is one of the highlights of the week and always helps me get through the workday. As a fellow North Texan who also enjoys the occasional cigar and glass of whiskey, for me, it often feels like I'm just hanging with some friends talking about my favorite games. Can't wait for y'all to play Twilight Princess as it's my favorite of the series, and I think y'all will definitely give it a bit more credit once y'all replay it from an objective standpoint. With a winky face, I actually completely agree with you. I'm very hoping... I'm hoping very much to enjoy that game more than I remember, it has been probably about a decade since I played it, so we are also excited to replay that one. And, uh, coming off the heels of the last time we read a five-star review to tell us your favorite Buffalo Wild Wings flavor, uh, thank you Vaca Pekenia for understanding the assignment. Favorite B-dubs flavor is definitely just the classic Buffalo, totally agree. Dry Rub Buffalo is my personal favorite. It's popular for a reason. Oh, and boneless beats bone in any day, I'm not afraid to admit it, and, and there you are completely wrong because hey, you're basically just eating fancy chicken nuggets no nah, he's right he's right no 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 no, totally no no no
2: listen saucy nugs are not wings they are nugs they're saucy yeah. nugs they are not wings i love some saucy nugs but they're not wings
0: I, it's just what all it i'm saying is asian zing represent that's where it's at yeah dude classic buffalo dry rep you me. you and my girlfriend are all about that asian zing Mm, I'm a big, big fan. Well, now that we've gotten B-dubs out of the way, I feel like we need to tee up another one. Um, I would love to see a slew of five-star reviews all explaining to me in the clearest possible terms, what is the best fast food French fry?
1: Oh, well, that is just so loaded because they're so different. Like, you've got curly fry versus steak fry versus thin fry versus waffle fry,
2: and they all fall in totally different categories. I'm going to come out here and say Five Guys slash Mooyah
0: is my favorite. Mm, they're so good, that's for sure. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and narrow the field here. It's got to be a straight cut, crinkle cut, or waffle cut french fry.
1: Well, out of the So no curly, no steak, and no, like, Cajun seasoning- Okay. Okay. So also that means it can't be the Wingstop fries because those are my personal favorite. I love Wingstop. fries. Those were my second, but they can be too soggy sometimes. That's true. If you don't Uh, get them fresh, they're, they're a little bit not great. Chick-fil-A fries
2: done perfectly are probably the best, but they're hard to get done perfectly. That's true.
1: And and if you get the, like the, the thick ends, that's like mostly potato. Uh, I hate that. I hate that.
0: I always feel like I got gypped out of like two regular fries when I get one of those.
1: I totally agree with that statement. Also, if anyone says that, uh, In-N-Out has the best fries, you can immediately unsubscribe from our podcast because you're just wrong they taste like cardboard oof they're terrible please don't unsubscribe from our podcast we still love you as a person but you're <laughs> just wrong if
0: in and out fries are your favorite you're still more than welcome to leave a five-star review on our podcast <laughs>
1: And tell us why they're your favorite, but we're just going to (laughs) disagree with you and roast you about it. I hope that's okay.
0: All right, guys. Without further ado, let's get into the Sacred Realms rundown. That is, of course, a six-part analysis of what we played each week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we are talking about A Link to the Past, Chapter 11, the final chunk of this game, covering primarily Ganon's castle and the end of the game. Part one is, as always, the plot recap as read by matt take it away matt now all the maidens have been
1: freed from the grasp of the evil ganon and only our foe remains to stand against us as we strive to reunite the two worlds in harmony with the combined power of the maidens we can now break the magical barrier surrounding ganon's castle so that we can find our foe and bring him to ruin before he can fulfill his dark wish upon the triforce Heading west from Turtle Rock, we quickly come upon the Dark Fortress, and Zelda leads the Maidens in breaking the dark barrier that bars our path. Proceeding inside, we find a gigantic monolith of dark power that is filled with fierce enemies and deadly traps. It seems that Ganon has taken the best of each dungeon and filled his lair with these minions and devices. The door in the middle leads up to the top of the tower, but is locked with the big key, so we must head down into the depths to find this first. More than any dungeon before, we find ourselves pushed to the very limits of our power and courage. But after fighting through the hordes of enemies and traps... What about our wisdom? Well, I, just, you know, I don't think they've really clarified the Triforce as having power, cur- power, courage, and wisdom yet. So Dependence. Uh, yeah, but I'm just leaving it at power and courage, okay?
2: Listen, this game is weird. Gan- Ganon turns into a bat, alright? Nothing's really the
1: same as it is in
2: other games. We're just going to leave it there. Thank you, Jackson. Where am I
1: more than any dungeon before we find ourselves pushed to the very limits of our power and courage. But after fighting through the hordes of enemies and traps, including the Armos Knights that guarded the first maiden, we claim the big key using this perpetually useful artifact. We open the dungeons treasure to find another upgrade to our armor. The red mail is full of protective magic that further enhances the protection from enemies and dark magic. Donning our new armor, we proceed further into the castle and head towards the top. Even more enemies and traps bar our way, including hidden paths that can only be uncovered with the Aether Medallion, and another Moldorm worm like we fought in the Tower of Hera, and even the swarm of vicious worms from the Desert Dungeon. But even these dark tricks and bosses cannot hold us back from our goal. We press ever ever upward until we come to the room at the very top of the tower. (laughs) There we find not Ganon, but Agonim. The wizard has not forgotten, nor forgiven us for defeating him before, and vows that we shall not do so again. He then spawns two extra shades of himself that assist him in our fight. These shades, while not able to be damaged, do plenty of damage themselves by mimicking Agonim's attacks against us and thus tripling the threat to our life. But just as we did before, we use the sacred power of the Master Sword to deflect the dark magic back at the real wizard, and in doing so, bring him low once more. As he falls to his own magic, his robes disappear, and Ganon himself then appears before us, and whooshes off to parts unknown. Summoning our handy Birdo friend, who was not able to be summoned in the dark world until this point, we follow quick on his heels. We see his dark form plummet through the top of the pyramid, leaving a massive hole for us to follow through. Summoning all of our courage, and most likely replenishing some of our potions and whatnot, we drop down to, the f- to face our foe. I never imagined a boy like you could give me so much trouble. It's unbelievable that you defeated my alter ego Aghanim, the Dark Wizard, twice, but I will never give you the Triforce. I will destroy you and make my wish to conquer both the Light and the Dark Worlds come true without delay. We begin to do battle and ganon proves to be more than the sum of his minions throwing massive amounts of dark magic and damage around the arena and even shrinking it beneath our feet however using the power of the sacred blade and the holy silver era silver arrows that the cursed fairy gave us we bring the monster to his knees and slay him before he can turn the worlds into a waking nightmare Proceeding to the back of the tower, we follow the way to the pedestal at the top of the staircase, and the Triforce materializes before us. Welcome, Link. I am the essence of the Triforce. The Triforce will grant the wishes in the heart and mind of the person who touches it. If a person with a good heart touches it, it will make his good wishes come true. If an evil-hearted person touches it, it grants his evil wishes. The stronger the wish, the more powerful the Triforce's expression of that wish. Ganon's wish was to conquer the world. That wish changed the Golden Land into the Dark World. Ganon was building up his power here so he could conquer the light world and make his wish come completely true. But now you have totally destroyed Ganon. His dark world will vanish. The Triforce is waiting for a new owner. Its golden power is in your hands. Now touch it with a wish in your heart. As we take hold of the omnipotent golden power, the dark world and light world merge to become whole once more. All the darkness is vanquished from this murky mirror world, and hope and peace are restored to the land. All is set right once more, and the work of the hero is complete. Flute Boy comes back to his forest glade and to his father. Our uncle is revived in body and spirit. The maidens are restored to their homes. The King of Hyrule once more sits on his throne with his daughter Zelda at his side. And the sacred work is done. And the Master Sword rests once more in its glade. Until it is needed again. The way of the hero has led to the Triforce.
2: Can I give my plot recap right before you move on?
0: I don't know. How short is it? It's
2: really short. This is the plot recap by Jackson, and it is a SpongeBob quote. How many times do we have to teach you this lesson, old man? (laughs) (laughs) I love the young people. (laughs) (sighs) that's, That's literally the entire dungeon. Ganon and all the previous foes, Aghanim and all the
1: bosses. (laughs)
0: apt jackson very 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 apt apt. yes If, if less
1: poetic than my own rendition
0: let's get into part two which is our takes where we discuss this section of the game talk about how it made us feel i'm gonna go ahead and kick off here with a few narrative um observations before we get into gameplay stuff there's a lot really to dig into here one thing that i thought was really cool is the um i I guess i think it's stated pretty explicitly that the dark world dissipates once ganon is destroyed are we to take that to like understand that um that entire i guess dimension which was once the sacred realm just no longer exists like it didn't default back to being the sacred realm It's just gone now because in addition to um, in addition to Ganon being dead, the Triforce is no longer being held there. So I guess it's
1: so like I I took it to mean that unlike what Ganon wanted to do, which is merge the light in the dark world with the dark world taking over. I feel like link merged the worlds into, into harmony, which is how you get flute boy and the dwarf and, or the the dwarf twin and like everybody else, the the bully and the pink blob all reappear in the light world. And I don't think like, I could be totally wrong, but I, I just don't think that that would necessarily happen if the light, if the dark world just kind of vanished. Um, So uh, to me, it seems like Link does or performs a purer version of Ganon's wish, which is to merge the worlds together in in harmony.
2: So basically what you're saying (laughs) is Ganon was trying to be Zhao and kill the moon spirit and make it all a dark world. And now we brought it into a like a harmonious way.
1: Harmonious convergence like Korra.
2: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And now basically what we're living in is no longer the sacred realm, but we are now the realms podcast. Because we're not the sacred realm anymore. It's we're just the, the realm, the realm, the, 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 realm, one, the broadcast. One realm, the
0: unirealm. That's that's um, that's intangible from a branding standpoint. We can't actually make that stick. And more importantly, I'm not remaking the logo. So that's just for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I thought that that was really interesting. Um, The other one that I want to talk about is we keep kind of coming back to the status of the Triforce. We talked earlier in this season about how um, Ocarina of Time's ending kind of leads into this game and tried to fill in some of the narrative gaps around, you know, how does that all work? Like at the end of Ocarina of Time, even in the downfall timeline, the Triforce was still in separate pieces held by Ganon and Link and Zelda. Link obviously dies in that fight in the downfall timeline. We can assume assume that Ganon was sealed into the Sacred Realm slash Dark World with his piece, and then I think our headcanon previous to that was that once Zelda died of natural causes in that timeline, we think her piece of the Triforce returned to the whole, which is why the entirety of the Triforce is held in the Dark World. In this game, right? I mean, are we are we pretty much in agreement on that?
1: I, I still think that that's probably the most accurate rendition of what could have happened when you look at the timeline as a whole and what Ocarina of Time did to that timeline. Obviously, this game being made, you know, many years before Ocarina of Time was probably... It was definitely completed. Maybe even a couple of years before it was even thought of. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily what Agonuma uh, ha- had in mind here. Uh,
0: Koji uh, Kondo. Uh, no, Koji Kondo was the composer. This is all before uh, Onuma's time. I think uh, Miyamoto is Miyamoto, probably the- okay. Yeah, so so
1: before Miyamoto really. I don't know if that's exactly what Miyamoto would have said is true of the Triforce in this particular game just because of where it comes in our own chronological reckoning versus the the timeline as established in Hyrule Historia. But I think when we look at the whole of Zelda as as laid out in Hyrule Historia, that makes the most sense with what
0: we see. Mm-hmm. Uh, One more thing. I thought it was really funny when we get that montage after we beat the game and it shows all the wonderful outcomes of us having beaten Ganon. You know, you were talking about our uncle is back and the king is back and all this. I thought those were all really cool. There were a few that were kind of random and I thought really funny. And then there was one that just made me laugh out loud. Like, I'm playing this game late at night in bed. My wife is sleeping. Everything is all hunky-dory in the game and it's all sunshine and rainbows. And then in the the very middle of it there's one where it's like vultures inherit the desert
1: oh my god you're right i totally I'm forgot like, about that
0: i'm like
2: what <laughs> good i guess why, why can't we have a bunny running around though i feel like that was missing that is
1: true there was no bunny I guess as Link the
2: bunny? Well, yeah, but like there should have been a bunny running in the background, a pink bunny running in the background anyways, just as like a like a hint. You
0: but know? but like were the vultures good guys all along? I don't know. No, they tried what... to kill us.
1: There's no way they were good guys all along. Well the BS. <laughs> then why do, why are we happy that they don't know inherited
0: the desert? Maybe speaking? it's
1: better maybe it's better than those weird sand putty men that tried to
2: kill us. Listen maybe? I don't we, know. we don't want species to go extinct. Okay. Even I don't though know, they're I could bad. do with wa-
1: I could do with wasps going extinct.
2: Yes, but we don't know the impact that that would have on the ecosystem. So let's hold off from that.
1: For I don't now. know. Let's be happy for the vultures. We're we're happy for them. Be if happy not for ourselves. Be happy that our our world remains diverse. The other one that uh, actually was I thought was kind of funny was the bug net kid is like now magically better and walking running around with his bug net. Like, did we go return his bug net to him? Like, I'm, seems like a good guy thing I'm to do. Sure I guess. We, I'm
0: sure we possibly did. Also, um, I think it's really funny. You know, we were talking before about how, like, we just completely threw Flute Boy under the bus by choosing not to go save him in the dark world. Or, no, uh, by. No, we the, did. Te- the, I mean, we sort of tried uh, to, but the, he was like, um, nah. Sorry, not Flute Boy, the, the bully. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're, they're all just hanging out, trapped in the dark world, and we were never just like, hey, come on through with yeah, us. Yeah, he we can used save the magic you. mirror, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Also, they made, the, it, they made it back, though. They did. Oh, the bully and and his victim
1: are perpetually stuck by the Tower of Hera and the poor little pink blob is still getting bullied. So I don't know if that's really good for him or not, but I guess he's not a pink blob anymore. So that is better off than he was.
0: So let's get into some more like gameplay observations. Um, Jackson, I want you to lead off first as the guest on the show this week. What did you think about this final section of the game um, without getting too specific about the mechanics and whatnot of the dungeon or whatnot, just because we have a section for that, but.
2: So this section of the game, I kind of summed it up earlier, is just uh, Link to the Past Greatest Hits, I guess, maybe. I mean, some of the bosses you may not have liked, but uh, the way that it incorporated things from all parts of the game, the way that it had you use all different types of items was really good. Or even the fact that I loved this, right? Uh, The fact that you could use some of the items but didn't have to, right? It allowed you to have a diverse opportunity of items and ways to accomplish goals. You know, some of the puzzles, you didn't really have a diverse way to accomplish them, but that's just classic Zelda. You know, you have one way to do it, but at least you had a diverse option of items to use to solve those puzzles. Did you
0: did you enjoy it? I mean, did you like all of everything that happened in here?
2: Um, Maybe not everything, but I would say as a whole, I really did actually like this a lot.
0: Matt, what did you think about this section of the game?
1: So, I mean, other than the dungeon, there was not a whole lot of this of the game to go into here. I know that, you know, we also have a section of side quests where I did complete a few uh, just to round out my my inventory and my you know power cap as much as possible. But um, like it's I think I think this may be one of the strongest endings of the games that we've played. Right. Like one of our consistent criticisms of the last three games that we've played has been. The 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 path leading up to the final boss has been Meh isn't exactly the right word, but kind of, where it's like, you know, Ganon's castle in Ocarina of Time is fine. Um, and then um Link's Awakening, Skykeep. yeah. Well, then Link's Awakening when you're you know traversing through uh, the maze. There's literally nothing to do but go through a maze and then you fight the final boss. And then Skykeep, you know, I-, I like Skykeep for what it is, but it's it doesn't feel like the final dungeon of a game. And then all of a sudden you're going through a mob, bo- battle and fighting gear him again, which then you know, that final gear him fights amazing, but it's, it's like sky keep, you know, skyward swords ending is more or less like three boss fights. And that's, that's like the end of the game. But so I think this is the, the strongest overall, Ending section of a game because it's got a fantastic actual dungeon that you go through. You get an actual awesome useful item. You go through and you do a lot of cool things that are very challenging, even with your crazy power level that you've gone and upgraded all the way to, and and a challenging final boss. So, like, I, I think as a whole, this is a very strong ending to uh to a to a Zelda game.
0: Yeah. Um. So just real quickly, I want to say that I agree. Uh, I enjoyed this, this whole section. I mean, previous, um, uh, gripes kind of still stand here in terms of there not being a whole ton to do between the end of the last dungeon and the beginning of this one, especially when you're, when you're talking just from a geography standpoint, if you wanted to just leave Turtles Rock and just hang a left straight for Ganon's castle, then you could be from Turtles Rock to the final dungeon in like two minutes, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, really...
1: I I, had I not needed to go grab a couple more things. That's exactly what would have happened for me is you go west like 50 feet. It's like what? Three frames. It's three. It's three game frames or four maybe. And you're there. And like I didn't even mean to trigger the this again, cinematics, not the right word, but we'll just use that as uh, as as a stand in i triggered the cinematic to unlock ganon's castle without even meaning to i meant to walk past it and use the magic mirror somewhere where i could go grab the final bottle and and go get the golden sword and all that stuff but uh, i walked past ganon's castle and zelda was like we're gonna break the barrier for you and i was like cool thanks for doing that uh now i'm gonna go somewhere else and do some other things and uh, that was a little bit not off-putting but it's like cool all right. Must there's, have, there's the end of the game. Must have felt like being in an RPG where it's like, hey,
2: you should go do this important mission. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to go do some side quest first. You just
1: hang tight, y'all. Yeah, seriously. The Reapers are coming to destroy Earth and they've moved the Citadel to its orbit. Maybe you should go do that. Nah, I think I'm actually going to go back to the Citadel and like chill in my apartment for a while. Like that's what it feels like.
0: I don't know. But anyway, I I agree with you that in terms of, you know, the actual meat of this section, dungeon, boss fight, all that, uh, it is – probably the strongest ending to a Zelda game of any of the ones that we've played so far. So, let's go ahead and get into part three, which is the dungeon map, where we analyze this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. The dungeon this week is, of course, Ganon's Castle, which is, uh, pound for pound, the best final dungeon of any of the ones that, oh, absolutely. that we play. Oh, it's, it's really good. It's highly challenging. There's a lot of it to chew on. The bottom floors of this dungeon are very puzzle-heavy, and then the ascent up to the top chamber is very combat heavy, so you kind of get both parts, um, and that makes for a really excellent combo of minute-to-minute gameplay. The bottom floors are legitimately challenging from a puzzle standpoint. Yes, There were a a lot of rooms in here that required a lot of kind of thinking about and strategizing and kind of trying it several times to get it to work right. Um, The one that I'm thinking about right now is the one with all the conveyor belts where you have to light the torches with the fire rod to open the doors. You have to get through that in a certain span of time. It's really easy to get lost down here there's the room with all the teleport pads that kind of like get you really turned around um it makes it very hard for uh, the dungeon map to help you as much as it has in past dungeons because you're just so disoriented
1: yeah um, i mean you're constantly moving from one floor to the next and you don't even necessarily know like where you or where you are like where you came from how do i get back how do i go forward I, like luckily for me i just kind of like picked the closest teleporter and just went with that one and and it eventually worked out but yeah it was very very disorienting the teleporter ones for sure you also have to really manage
2: your resources especially magic meter like running out of magic meter running out of magic meter at the wrong point really screws you so you have to watch it close because fire rod doesn't take a lot yeah it doesn't seem like it on first hit but then three or four hits later and you've got like a tiny portion of magic meter, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, crap.
1: Well, the biggest one for me was the the room where you have to use the ether medallion to showcase the hidden path. I never would have known to do that if uh, we hadn't had some very helpful Twitter users tell us that that is what the ether medallion was used
0: oh, for. Oh, I didn't do that. Um, so, uh, Did what's you just it? trial and error your way through it? No, if you light the torches with the fire rod, then the path is revealed until the torch is extinguished.
1: Oh, yeah, I used the ether medallion too. Well... Lyndon found an easier way to do that, apparently. Anyway, uh, the Ether Medallion also works if you want to do it the hard way and use up more magic, but
2: uh the <laughs> There other, you go. The other medallion is also really good at clearing
1: rooms. Oh, Bamos, yeah. Yeah. So Bamos if you if you have
2: enough magic meter and you run into a room where there's like two or three red Stalfos and you're like, I don't feel like dealing with this, you just <laughs> use that medallion and just wipe them all out.
0: I definitely was relying quite a lot on the whole freeze an enemy and then kill them with the hammer trick to refill yes. my magic.
1: Who was that? Melora told us about that right? Yeah. Yeah Melora coming in clutch with that advice because I did that more than once uh, to try to get some more magic out of out of this dungeon. Uh, I actually did that a lot in Turtle Rock as well because that's also a very magic heavy dungeon. If you have not gotten the mad batter upgrade to your magic meter before you go into this dungeon good freaking luck because man I even with that I was I stocked up on one blue potion one green potion ocean and two fairies and I used most of that i used all of that except for the fairies before i got to agonim just because i needed to refill my magic meter Mm. uh
0: that episode that we did with max and melora i definitely kind of stored up a nice little bank of knowledge that i would not have otherwise have have had Uh, and it got me through a lot of difficult parts of the ending of this game so definitely appreciate that very much max and melora mvps on the uh on the sacred realms podcast that's for sure um also melora No, you're having a hard time right now. We love you. Yes, much love. Regardless of all that, so lots of different difficult um, mechanics to manage here, um, but all of it created a very satisfying experience. Uh, So, Matt, you said which room was the hardest for you. I've said for me, Jackson, which room did you have the most difficulty with?
2: Well, the teleport room was a lot of, like, trial and error, um, and the... Man those little conveyor belts were also really hard. Uh, I didn't have nearly as much trouble on the icy floors mainly because I would just sprint across them and that helped a lot. But but the conveyor belts really like you accidentally take one step wrong and you're going the wrong direction and that can really screw you. Uh the teleporters were also really just frustrating cuz you're like you step
0: into one and you're like where the Hell am I. Yeah. I think so. If I was to kind of tie up my thoughts about this dungeon into one succinct, like, I don't know, one succinct sentiment, it would just be that. This dungeon succeeds where a lot of other final dungeons and Zelda games tend to fail um, in terms of being an amalgamation of things we've learned earlier in the game, but without throwing it in, in your face quite so much. Matt mentioned earlier Ganon's Castle, which tries to be a best of of Ocarina of Time, right? But it does it in a way that it, it feels very... Uh, it, it feels very ham-fisted. It feels and, cheap, right? Yeah. Like
1: I think where this dungeon succeeds is that it it actually does combine the best of those dungeons, but also gives you new things in a challenging way where they're combined. The, like the the fault of Ganon's Castle is it tells you what you're going into and what you should expect, right? Like it, it gives you the spirit or the fire or the forest. And like, you, you know, going in like, okay, these are the kinds of things I'm going to anticipate to expect here. And most of the time it doesn't even do those very well in my opinion, but this like kind of combines it all into a really uh, tasty dungeon gumbo that works very well That's, altogether. So
2: this is, this is the one area really where links, a link to the past shines above, Link's Awakening, where Link's Awakening tries to do a very similar thing where it shoves a lot of the bosses back at you, right? It's that same thing where you go through the boss gauntlet at the end of Link's (laughs) Awakening. But here, I think it's done a lot better. Uh, And also because it has a really good balancing effect, right? It's not heavy on combat and it's not heavy on puzzles it's the balance between the two you get both both are challenging and and, but in a fun uh, non-frustrating way
1: yeah and and actually i like your point earlier about you know when with the items that link has at this point in the game it's able to combine combat and puzzles simultaneously (laughs) and remain challenging without being overly frustrating. And like that is a very hard thing to do and it does it so successfully. Like I I would replay this dungeon ag- again and I I I don't think I can because I didn't create like a save point or suspend point on the switch, but I would honestly go back and replay this dungeon and try to go to any of the rooms that I may have missed just because like I want to see how else they might have, you know, done combinations of things that I didn't get to experience the first time around.
0: So to that point, there is a secret room that you can find in here that Kylie actually teased on the episode she was on with us earlier this season. Um, It's the fairy room on your way up to fight Agonim, and I'm wondering if you managed to get into it, Matt.
1: Uh, I remember a room that had four or five fairies in it, if that's the one you're talking about. I don't remember how I got into it, though. Yeah. I don't know if that's the one you're talking about, Lyndon. But so
2: the, the room I think you're talking about is where you have to bump jump over the gap. Uh, and then you go in, and then there's four fairies floating there, and then you have to use the hook shot to get back across.
0: Yeah, so there's a on, – on your way up to fight Aghanim, there is a long corridor room, and you can see a door that you can go through, but there's a gap that you would it, – it's like a, a gap that you would be able to jump over with the rock's feather. In Link's Awakening, mm-hmm. but we don't have that here. Right. What you have to do instead is to Pegasus dash into a block that's facing away from the gap, and then the impact of hitting that block bounces you back.
1: Okay, on- I definitely didn't do that then. that's I definitely did not get into that room.
2: Yeah, I did a little bit of research first uh, because I knew that this was going to be challenging, and I wanted to make sure I had everything... Going into the fight that I needed, uh, and that was actually mentioned, and I was like, "Oh, that's really cool." So I I fell in the gap the first time because I misjudged it. The second time I actually got it, uh, and it's actually really satisfying when you're like,
1: "Oh, dang! Like that was really cool." Oh, was that at the end of the room with all the cannonballs that yeah. are flying across? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I I didn't get. I didn't do that. Uh, I did see that ledge, and I was like, "That looks interesting," but I I didn't go into it
0: let I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Let's talk real quick about the item that we get in this dungeon just because um, what is there really to say about it? I mean. Other than it's cool. Yeah, it's neat. It's you know? neat.
1: <laughs> I don't – I wish that they had kept the gold hat instead of making it purple. Red and purple don't combine. I don't know who thought that that was a good artistic choice, but whatever. Um, other than that, you know, taking – I think Max said in the episode we did with him, you take – an eighth of the damage or a fourth of the damage and you do eight times damage or four times. It was one or the other. Like it was either you do anyway, the power differential from where you start the game versus where you end the game is absolutely insane. It's four. It's a quarter damage and eight times damage. Yes. Yeah. I
2: think you're right. Because when you get hit by an enemy, instead of taking two hearts, it takes half a heart.
0: Well, the, the, the damage output difference doesn't come from from the 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 gold sword. I know, but I'm just saying
1: like, The fact that you can get your power level, base power level, not even items included, just from your armor and sword combo is crazy. Jackson, did you
0: get the gold sword?
2: Yeah, yeah, I did. So as I said, I I did a little bit of research to make sure that I had everything going into the fight that I needed. Uh, So I did go back and get the gold sword. And let me just tell you, the gold sword with the projectiles... Wow. wow, projectiles
1: don't do any more damage than they do no, from a but, regular sword, but, but it's just so helpful to have. Oh, those sword projectiles. projectiles are crazy. They're like they're almost like almost broken just from how useful they it's are.
2: Like, what's the point of the bow and arrow, right? Like, well, other for than freezing, silver, other than silver arrows, which no, no, are just no. insane. I'm, silver arrows are a oh, part. You know, regular arrows, <laughs>
1: like. Who needs them when you have the projectiles? Oh, I almost. totally agree. I didn't use the bow and arrow at all when I had sword, uh, sword projectiles. But when I had silver arrows, oh man, you could one shot. You one shot. I think any enemy besides bosses yeah. with silver arrows. Yeah, it's so insane.
2: So the mini bosses that you face before Agonym, you can one shot each of those. So the big, the big knights are each one shot instead of three arrows, and then the caterpillar thing. Wait, uh, you hit Moldworm
0: with a silver arrow?
2: Um, the the ones that go in a circle.
0: No, Matt's talking about the sandworms, the three worms. Right? No,
1: I'm talking about both the sandworms and I'm talking oh, about okay. Moldorm. If you hit Moldorm's tail with a silver arrow, I applaud you.
2: Um, No, not Moldorm with a silver arrow. Um the the one where they cut the, the where they come out of the ground out of the ground and oh. you just have to hit their body oh
1: those I'd, are one shot by silver arrows too also also more power to you if you can hit those
0: but also moldorm dies in two hits with the gold sword yeah so. so i was
1: gonna i was gonna get to that when we got there but like th- to your point jackson like the power differential here makes the bosses that you fight at the beginning of the game the armos knights moldorm and i don't remember what those three wormy things are called i, I don't really we care.
0: were just calling them the sandworms <laughs> yeah
1: sandworms uh I like that because it's very Dune. Thank yeah. you. Um, <laughs> Shy Huloon. Shy Hulun. Um, Give us the spice. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh god damn it. The uh so anyway, the power differential you have coming into this game makes those bosses like straight pushovers and I I had vicious satisfaction in killing Moldorm in two swipe and two spin attacks with my golden sword after the pain he gave me in Tower of Hera. So you I was want, just like, die Muldorm, die.
2: You want to know what I did with Moldorm? Uh Yes, I do. Yeah, I used the magic cape and the golden sergeant. Ah, very smart, very so smart. It was like, you
1: couldn't hit me if you tried, bitch. <laughs> oh man, that was actually a fantastic guy. I did not do that with Muldorm or the Sandworms, but I did do that with uh, Aghanim. I just ran around with the golden cape while he was running around. And, like whenever he was about to shoot the projectiles, I'd just throw on the cape and then just like hit, hit all three projectiles. And more than, often
0: than not, I would get at least two of them to hit Aghanim. And it was so satisfying. <laughs> so let's go ahead and talk about the boss fight of this dungeon now that we're kind of now that we've made it onto Aghanim. um obviously two phase boss fight we have Aghanim and then we have ganon uh very much defeated the same way that we did the first time of course this time as matt mentioned in his plot recap we've got two little shadow versions of Aghanim who are floating around shooting crap at us as well Um, and i think that this is like a fun extra layer of difficulty added onto this fight that makes it you know not like punishingly difficult but more difficult uh, than the first time that we fought him. Um, and I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I do like that the projectiles from the Shadow Aghanim can be reflected onto the real one, so it gives you sort of more opportunities to do damage to Aghanim.
2: Yeah, so I thought this was comparable to the Forest Temple and Ocarina of Time with Shadow Ganon, right? With Shadow Ganondorf? Um, where Phantom it, Ganon. Phantom Ganon, right. Uh, it's not as punishing because Phantom Ganon and Forest Temple comes out from different directions right and and can hurt pretty bad but here uh it adds that level of difficulty plus with the amount of hearts you have right so you have to be more strategic about your placement where you need to you know swipe the bolts back at him right so that adds more strategic placement without making it too hard right so i think this is a nice happy medium especially for a a 2d top down game Opposed to Ocarina of Time.
1: So I will say that I actually had a much easier time with Aghanim this this go around. He never once did uh, the Darth Sidious lightning at me, which I kept expecting him to do. And maybe I just got lucky. No, he doesn't do it at all. Uh, I, so according to ZeldaDungeon.net, he, he can. Did for, he did for me. Yeah. Uh, he didn't for me either. Yeah, according to ZeldaDungeon.net, he can. He never once did that for me. Um, So I, I actually found this Aghanim fight to be far easier than uh the first time we fought him and i found myself wishing a little bit that they had changed him up a a slight a a slight bit because it really just felt like a rehash of the same fight with just you know two more and i i wish that they may have you know maybe even just change up his style of attack or or make make the reflecting harder or something i don't know just something that was Different, but it wasn't really, and um, that was a little bit disappointing, but not like, not overly disappointing that it took away from my enjoyment of the overall dungeon. But I, th- I feel like Agonim could have had a little more of a spotlight and a little more difficulty as the final boss of this first section. So I think, I think I would agree with you,
2: on on, on one thing. So if let's say the added difficulty is that shadow. And regular Aghanim all shoot the little blue beads at you would be nice if you could have the Rock's Feather because then evading would add to that, right? But you well, can't really evade in this game very much unless you use the Magic Cape but then you've got to go into your item and equip the Magic Cape and then evade. So that would be a lot of you know, switching items back and forth and, and everything. That would seem a little bit like too chaotic for
1: So me. I think for me like I, what would have been kind of a fun way to do this is you have to kill the Shadow agonims before you can damage the OG agonim. and once you get like a hit on him you have to repeat that process and like I think the that would have been an interesting um little added difficulty like maybe give him one or two less total hits to defeat real agonim and then just you know have to have to defeat his his shades before you can you can do uh boss damage i guess let's call it um but that's just me personally i don't know people can tell me i'm wrong if you want but that's just how i feel about it. Maybe add like Stalfos in there. Or no, something. I wouldn't want to maybe, I maybe not Stalfos, but I wouldn't want to add trash mobs. Like I don't, I don't like the trope, generally speaking, especially in top-down Zeldas. I don't like adding trash mob ads to boss fights in top-down Zeldas. I think that works fine in 3D Zeldas where you have a, a different version of combat and placement and uh, strategy, but in top-downs that just adds a level of um, chaos that I don't think both, that I I don't think meshes well with boss fights so I would say that you would still have to keep the mechanic focused on Aghanim and his shades and uh, just again very minor complaint here is just that I, I wish that they had done a little bit more with uh, the Aghanim boss fight yeah but keep in mind in
2: 1991 right like this is yep. really good no, really I, good I, stuff I, totally totally
1: totally agree Yeah,
2: we're, we're, we're looking at this with the perspective of 30 years on So, uh, literally 30, uh, 31, 31 now, gosh, it's 2022. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I can only imagine what it would have been like playing this, uh, in 1991. You, you're probably looking at in 1991, you're looking at it going, wow, like this is incredible gaming. Like how did they make this possible? Uh, so all things in perspective, Really cool. It's like going back and looking at old movies and their CGI. And, you know, nowadays you're like, eh, it's kind of off-putting.
0: But back in the day, you're like, how did they do these things? You know, it's right. pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Let's move on from Agonim. We've struck him down. The bat-like form of Ganon has emerged from the remains, which I guess are we to understand that Agonim was a separate being from Ganon, but Ganon was possessing him? And- well, he so he literally says that Agonim is
1: his alter ego, which I would – which I would say makes them the same. I would say
2: Agonim is probably like a persona of a sh- yeah, Ganon. Yeah. Like shade some, of. Yeah. Some sort of like uh, part of him.
1: So in Mass Effect parlance, it's Harbinger possessing the collectors. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Where, you know, it's a it's a scion of Harbinger. It has it's invested with his power. But defeating the Harbinger uh, collector husk does not therefore defeat Harbinger.
0: Yeah. Yep, I'm with you. Sweet, yeah, all that. So, Lyndon's confused because he hasn't
1: gotten that far in Mass Effect Two
0: yet. Yeah, whatever. Catch up. So, anywho, you got a baby, man. Um, I'm working on it. So, yeah. So, Ganon rises from the remains of Aghanim, flies off to the Pyramid of Power. We uh, land on the pyramid, jump down, ready to rumble with Ganon. <laughs> what follows is hey, Are you ready to rumble? <laughs> we are. What <laughs> follows is a fight that um, I don't know. It was very, very difficult for me the first two times that I played this game, and this time, just because I kind of knew how to get through it, it didn't challenge me all that much. But I do think that it is a really fun fight that requires a lot of good reflexes and movement around the arena. Uh, What did you guys think of it?
2: I didn't have too much trouble. When I dropped into the ring, I was saying, can you smell what the rock is cooking? You know, Um, when I dropped in and, you know, Ganon starts taking parts of the floor away, I was like, uh, you know, coming from Ocarina of Time being my first game, I was like, Where's "This is he takes so away re- half the arena." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, "This is just so familiar." And then I was thinking, "Wait, Ocarina of Time took that from this game, not the other way around." You know, was, right? I was like, "Man, this is like Ocarina of Time." And then I was like,
1: "Wait, Ocarina of Time is like this." Ah, that, that is a bit. That is a. uh Mind F, as they say, um, because I, I had the same thought, except about Link's Awakening, where obviously in Link's Awakening, you fight the the nightmare version of Ganon. And I was like, oh, yeah. So I, I, I was familiar with, not entirely familiar with, but mostly familiar with most everything that Ganon threw at me, except for when he went invisible and you had to light the torches. I figured that out fairly quickly because obviously there are not going to be you know torch pillars there if you didn't need to light them. But um, yeah, it was it was good. It was difficult. Um, it was I th- obviously I, I made hefty use of the magic cape, which made it a little a lot easier. Um, he did knock me off the platform one time. Wow! Um, actually, he didn't knock me off. I fell off because I'm a clumsy idiot, yeah. and uh, I I <laughs> I lit one pillar and then like went to go light the other one and just accidentally bumped the stick and fell off the platform and had to restart the whole fight, which I didn't, I wasn't super mad about because that gave me enough time to go back and refill some potions and stuff. But, um, and it came back the second time and beat him pretty easily. But it was it was a good fight. I would say the Ganon fight in this game does not stack up to the Ganon fight in Ocarina of Time or the Demise fight in Skyward Sword, um, or even really the nightmare fight in Link's Awakening, but it was still a good fight.
2: Yeah. You falling off roofs, falling off platforms, whatever. Same old, same old. It's been happening <laughs> for years. Ha <laughs> ha But uh for me, the thing, the trick was figuring out hitting Ganon while he was in the air so that he didn't spawn more of those firebat things, right? Oh, I just threw on the invisible... I just threw on the magic cape and ran up
0: next to him and slashed him with my sword a whole And I just dodged the firebats.
2: <laughs> yeah. See, I just didn't want to do all the item management. Like, like going into the menu and, and scrolling through the items, right, which in itself is, is kind of clunky. Uh, going back to early in the game when you don't have all the items, figuring out how to get from the top left to the bottom right. Is really tricky uh but managing putting on items and taking
1: off items is the the item management the item management section of this fight even in the even in the part we have to light the torches and then switch to the bow and arrow to shoot him with the silver arrows that was frustrating i will i will completely agree i think you know obviously the technical limitations of the super nintendo make that a necessity where you can only have one item equipped but that was definitely the most frustrating part of this fight was having to light the torches, switch to the arrow, and then position yourself in such a way all before one of the torches becomes unlit again it becomes invulnerable again. That part was frustrating. And and I do understand that it is a technical limitation, but nonetheless, so frustrating.
0: How how long did it take you guys to realize at what point you needed to use the silver arrows?
1: Um, I tried to use the silver arrows on him a couple times when he was – Uh, corporeal before you had to uh, light the lantern. So once I realized that that wasn't working, I stopped. And as soon as he went invisible and then I lit one of the torches and he was half visible, I tried to shoot him with a silver arrow, obviously does nothing, lit the other one, he becomes fully visible, shot him with a silver arrow and and like I got it pretty quickly. It didn't take me very long to figure that part out. Yeah,
2: I was with Matt um, except for I tried the sword technique first, uh, the projectiles first. And, and well, wow, you still had full hearts
1: coming into that section of the fight. That's impressive.
2: Yeah, um, fair. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. So, so I tried the sword first, and and then that didn't work. And then I took a couple damage. So then you have to figure out from there. You know.
1: Yeah. No. That's that's fair. I, but yeah, I I especially like. The what the fairy says when she gives you the silver arrows, you'll need these to deal the final blow to Ganon. I figured it would be like the very last thing you had to do. So I didn't I didn't necessarily go into this thinking that silver arrows were the whole thing the whole time. Um Silver but, arrows were going to be the final smash. Right. And so figuring out that I thought I would have to do this maybe once and just hit him with silver arrow. But then, you know, he got stunned. And before the first time I stunned him. I didn't realize that I then had to go hit him with the master sword. So he actually got unfrozen before I got up there. And so that was, um, that was really the one hiccup I had is, is Ganon a vampire silver, no, like silver bullets. I, I, I do see where you're coming there where you're coming from there but no he's definitely not hey you know just no you're right i mean i I would compare it mostly to like the light arrows that you get in breath of the wild yeah or or twilight princess yeah i think or the the light arrows you get in ocarina of time where it's it's all the same mechanic you have to use them to cause ganon to go into a damageable phase with the master sword yep
0: every every single game after this one i think they're referred to as light arrows um And, you know, this is just the earliest incarnation of it, so it's got a different name, whatever. It all works the same. I do feel very bad for people who never got the Silver Arrows and just were stuck on this boss forever. I was about to
1: say, how would – can you even beat him without the Silver
0: Arrows? So, okay. uh, The short answer is no. The long answer is that there is technically a way to do it. This is what I'm gathering uh, is a technique employed primarily by people who play randomized versions of A Link to the Past – uh, which if you're not familiar with randomization, what happens is, uh, basically you're like, th- what is in every chest in the game is completely randomized. So it forces you to like break the progression of the game and to find glitchy ways around areas where maybe you're kind of like locked out of if you haven't received a certain item. Uh, anyway, you can kill Ganon without the silver arrows, and I'm 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 reading this off of RandoGuide.com. There's a small window right when he is beginning to teleport where Ganon is vulnerable to being damaged with a sword spin. Hitting Ganon too early will stun him, which does no damage, and waiting too long will miss. It takes 12 successful spins with the tempered or golden sword to kill Ganon this way. So, Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, technically possible, but also, why? Try try doing that before he
2: takes enough space away on the platform, right? (laughs) Like, I know he can't take away all of it, but still, you're at the end of those 12, you're working on a very, very limited amount of space. Yeah. So,
0: the short answer is yes, you need the silver arrows. Anywho, silver arrows, a few sword spins, Ganon is dead, and we have conquered the final boss of the dungeon. He was a fun one, right, guys? Yeah. I mean, he was, he was, he was decently fun. I would say
1: definitely not my favorite final boss, but they make up for it with the whole final dungeon. So, eh, yeah.
2: That's that's exactly what I was going to say, right? Uh, every Zelda seems to have this, either the thing leading up to the final boss fight is kind of eh, and then the boss fight's amazing, or the dungeon is amazing, and the final boss is kind of eh. So, you know, it, it's really hard in gaming to f- get everything perfect, and I feel like this yeah. does a really good, like, the final boss was good, the final dungeon was really good, so overall, mm-hmm. I think it's it's really good, you know, maybe like A-minus. A-. A-.
0: <laughs> I think uh this is one of those areas where Twilight Princess is really going to shine because if my memory serves correctly that final boss has, fight is a lot of fun. It has both a great final dungeon and a great final boss fight, so we'll see. Uh
1: man, like I said, been probably a decade since I played that game, but I'm vaguely remembering uh wild boar version Ganon that you have to wrestle then like and like Dark Zelda puppet and then Actual, like, sword dueling Ganon, which I did find really, really fun. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm ex- Again, to our point earlier when we were reading the review, very excited to replay that game when we eventually get to it, probably pretty far down the road.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's move on to part four, which is where we talk side quests. Gonna roll off mine real quick. Basically, the the only thing that I did... Uh, in terms of side quests, was I did get the Cane of Burna before I went into the final dungeon. I didn't even use it. I just wanted to fill up that last inventory spot.
1: Yeah, so I got the Cane of Burna last week before Turtle Rock, I think, and then this week I went and got the fourth bottle. Um, Thank you to, I don't remember which Twitter user called me out on it, but I got called out on Twitter, Uh, but I had already gotten the fourth bottle, so yes, I did get the fourth bottle, and um, got the gold sword. (sighs) And I just, I did a lot of filling up my bottles with fairies or um, uh potion. But yeah, those, those are the two that I did.
0: Cool. Jackson, any side quests to speak of here?
1: Yeah, golden sword. And
2: um, I think I was all good on heart pieces. So I think- it was Did just, you get all 24 heart pieces? No, I think okay. I missed, I think I missed two. Yeah. I, think I had I- half a heart container, but I just didn't want to go get The very last two. Yeah, I think I
1: ended up with like 20 hearts, maybe something like that. Uh, I definitely did not get all 24. I generally speaking, never go hunt down all the heart pieces in Zelda games. I just don't feel like you need them.
2: Yeah. So I I try to make sure that I'm well equipped. So rather than rather than trying to just like wing these games like Matt and London do, I kind of do a little bit of more research uh, going into it, I find I enjoy it more rather than getting frustrated. Uh, so I happen to get a lot of them whenever like a guide would say, oh, and by the way, if you just take 10 steps this way and go in here, then there's one there. And, oh, okay, cool. So that's what I did. That's why I had, uh, a few more than they did maybe.
1: Yeah.
0: Cool. All right, let's move into Z-targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. Matt, I'm going to let you go first. Who's your Z-targeting pick for this week?
1: Um, I'm going to go with Triforce, because really, this is the only game that I'm aware of where the Triforce actually has characterization. It shows that it has uh, at least enough intelligence to speak to us, uh, tell us about how it fulfills its power. And also, it seems to me... And I could be totally wrong here, but it seems to me that the uh, the Triforce chose to monkey's paw Ganon here because Ganon's wish when he touched the Triforce was to rule the world. And instead of giving Ganon what he really wanted, which was total rule of High Rule and the sacred realm and all of the above. um, It was like, well, I'll give you rule of the sacred realm, but separate it from the real world and and trap you here. So I think it's really interesting characterization to, and maybe I'm giving the Triforce too much credit here, but it really feels like the Triforce gave Ganon's a monkey paw, gave Ganon a monkey's paw wish because he was evil. And it realizes or, or knows instinctually instinctual, instinctively that Link has a pure heart and therefore grants his wish in its entirety. Or maybe Link is just better at, at wishes. but I, I don't know which it is, but um, I, I would give it to the Triforce.
0: Yeah, this is kind of expanded on in Ocarina of Time where it's kind of it's talked about uh, there being an added element of like if you have an impure heart. Then the Triforce like splits and that whole thing happens. Yeah. Um. Obviously, we don't get any of that here. But you are correct that I think this is probably the most like agency that the Triforce has ever had as an entity. You know, uh, which is interesting. It's it's very inanimate or inanimate in um, every other appearance that I can think of. So yeah, good pick, really good pick there. Actually, well, thank you, Jackson Z targeting.
2: Yeah, I'm going with Bat Ganon because. <laughs> Because why? Like, never in another question. Zelda game is Ganon never a bat. And reinforcing my vampire theory. <laughs> all right, silver <laughs> arrows, a bat. Like,
1: what? Oh, <laughs> just it's fair. a it's very unique, it's a very unique uh anthropomorphism of, of can Gana. Can
0: you see him in a mirror? Is what I want to know. Ooh. Well,
2: he does go invisible at times. So I feel like we're like 75% of the way to confirming that Link to the past Ganon is a vampire. Semi-confirmed. You we're, heard it here first. We're like right on the edge. But uh, back to seriousness, why is Ganon a bat? Like yeah, I I don't I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Although I think it's kind of cool that Link wears a purple hat and then Ganon turns into a purple bat. I mean, he's like green. He's greenish. Yeah, I'd have to see a picture again, but eh. anyways, it's just just strange. Also, kind of weird to just see him be Back like, in. be like, "Fine, you have defeated Aghanim and I'm going to turn into a bat and fly away to this place that you're immediately going to follow me." <laughs> well,
1: that's actually a very interesting point because if he's been able to go to where the Triforce is housed this entire time, why did he wait so long until after we've defeated Aghanim? Like he, Cocky, cockiness, honestly. I, I mean, it's, I guess so. it's this—it's
2: the supervillain complex of. You're not going to defeat me, so why would I use all my full strength? You know, I can defeat you with just my, you know, persona as Agonim.
0: Well, I think I think what it more comes down to is the fact that Ganon is already living out the expression of his wish, right? I don't think that he could just go back to the Triforce and endlessly wish on it more.
1: But it seems like at least in his speech Before we start the actual fight, once we drop down into the arena, when he says, I'll never let you take the Triforce from me and I will fulfill my, you know, my final wish. Maybe you're right. Maybe he's trying to, you know, at this point after or before we free the maidens, Zelda says that he's trying to bridge the two worlds. Maybe we stopped him by breaking the barrier around his castle and now he's stuck and now he's just trying to defeat us and and restart his plan. I don't know, but it seems like there's definitely a, I don't know about a plot hole, but there's a gap here where he didn't need to fight us as Aghanim in order to go back to the pyramid where the Triforce is housed. So I don't really know why he waited to do that.
0: Who can tell? I don't know. Game design. Game design. Yeah. Early nineties video game. Well, we'll we'll give it a big question mark and call it good for now.
2: It's, It's a story thing.
1: Yeah. You
0: know. yeah, that's fair. So for my Z targeting, I'm actually going to take kind of a, a left hand turn and go in kind of an unpredictable direction here. I'm going to go with the king of Hyrule, who <laughs> who we see in the end credits of this game and who had a sprite made specifically just for that one instance. Um, I thought that that was really funny. Never saw this guy at all until right now. Um, I, I love it when we get to see the kings of Hyrule um, and we see various incarnations of them. King Rome, King Daphne uh, you know, um, uh, uh, headmaster Gaipora. see the king King here. of red lions. That's Daphnis. Um, uh, Daphnis, no hands, and Hyrule.
1: Oh, and then Rome is the Breath of the Wild?
0: Yes. Okay.
2: My, my question is they used – so earlier we talked about sprites m- forcing – like the lack of ability of sprites forcing Link to be the pink bunny. So they used their sprite to make king of Hyrule and then – that forced Link to be so,
1: Pink Bunny? Actually, no. Malora Melora debunked us on that on Twitter where she was telling us that they intentionally chose Link's hair to be pink because various reasons. But one of them being it stood – it made his hair stand out from the rest of his sprite without it melding into the rest of his skin tone. So it, it the, the pink hair is a an intentional choice not driven by uh, color Uh, template usage
0: yeah so anyway i mean (laughs) you know whatever kind of a throwaway z targeting here i guess but hey it's the king of high we like
1: to see them they're they're cool yeah they really don't do much of anything generally speaking but
0: there you go all right let's get into part six which is our final thoughts matt you want to wrap this up for us (laughs) in as succinct a manner as you can possibly think to do the final dungeon of A Link to the Past
1: ties up what has been an excellent uh, dungeon-heavy journey for us. It it takes the best of all of the dungeons that we have gone through from a puzzle and enemy perspective and puts them into a nice, tasty dungeon gumbo that we get to savor as we go through uh, and enjoy the final uh, dregs of our journey. The red male combined with the golden sword, which you don't necessarily have to have, but you should definitely have, um, ...make Link one of the most powerful incarnations that we see in the series. Uh, And it tops it all off with two uh, at least halfway decent, uh, some might say good, uh, boss fights. And uh, brings us to the end of our journey where the hero claims the Triforce and restores the world to harmony... ...including uh, apparently resurrecting the king, the sage, and his uncle from the dead and restoring all of those trapped in the dark world to their original forms within the light world. So all is well that ends well
0: excellent well done as always matt this has been the sacred realms rundown the final sacred realms rundown in season four and the final sacred realms rundown until we return for season five breath of the wild
1: which will be a doozy we don't exactly know in <laughs> what way shape or form but it will be a doozy matt and
0: i are figuring that out this week
1: <laughs> which we i think we've said every week for the last like four or five weeks well, yeah, but we're set- actually doing we yeah. have a lunch date set where we're yeah, gonna just like we're actually
0: storyboard it out we're actually 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 playing the game now so we really need to figure it out (laughs) nothing like procrastination to really spur you into action yay nothing like
2: a bro date to
0: you know figure it out creativity creative juices flowing yeah Yeah. we
2: got to that's where the bourbon comes in
0: always it does of course we will be back next week for one final episode in season four where we recap this entire game give out some awards and most importantly (laughs) rank rank it. it against the other games that we've played the current standings go as follows in number one we've got ocarina of time in number two we have skyward sword and in number three we have Link's awakening so where will a link to the past land we shall see um yeah, man. Wow. It's weird to think that we're at the end of this one. I mean, it always feels this
1: way coming to the end of a season. And this is the fourth time we've done it now. And it's even crazier to think that we're four seasons in. I was telling some uh, a coworker today um, who didn't even know that we had a podcast. I was like, yeah, we're actually at the end of our fourth season. And they're like, wait, seriously, you've done four seasons? I was like, yeah, uh, all within within a year. We've done four seasons within a calendar year, and it's absolutely insane that we've been on this journey for this long, and it feels like yesterday that we started
0: out on episode one of Ocarina of Time, but here we are. Yep, we have released a new episode every Wednesday since the first one, Unbroken, so yeah, I mean,
1: cheers to that.
2: This is episode 12, right, of Link to the Past? 11. 11, yeah, and so, you know, it's crazy to think this is the longest season Mm
1: -hmm. of— Sacred Realms, I think. I think it right now it's tied with Skyward Sword, but with the recap, it will be the longest. Yeah, yeah. Easily, I think it... No, it's one episode longer one, than Skyward Sword. One episode, Sword. yeah. One episode it, longer. It felt like
2: it had a lot more dungeons in it, probably. I mean, it, well, it, has, it, a ton,
1: it has a it ton worked. of dungeons, that's yeah, for sure. It's a lot.
0: Yeah, and Skyward Sword, you have to remember, we like several episodes were devoted to not dungeon sections of the game. Right. Like like transitional periods of that game. So yeah, definitely more dungeons than any other game that we played up Is until this, this point. the
1: most dungeon-heavy game that we will play? I think it is. Oh uh, man. Or at least the most Dep- le- the most numerical amount of dungeons. Depends on what you count as dungeons in Breath of the Wild. So
0: I Well, that's uh, there are no dungeons in Breath of the Wild. I think that it is, but also uh a Link Between Worlds might equal it.
1: Okay. That makes sense because it's a remake. Of it's Link not a the remake. Past. It's it's set in the it's same sp- world it's timeline. A, it's a spiritual thing. remake, I guess, yeah.
0: but it's not the same game. Yeah, uh, but uh, but it, it certainly has more samey elements than most do. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Well, anywho, all stuff that we'll talk about at a later date Guys, this has been a fun one. It always is fun when we get the three Willoughby brothers together. Jackson, we appreciate you being on this week. And we
1: appreciate you marathoning A Link to the Past so that you could be on this with us. Because we've been asking you all of Skyward Sword to be on an episode with us and all of A Link to the Past to be on with us. And you finally did it. So thank you.
2: Yeah. Some of of them weren't
1: my fault for some
2: episodes, but I'm glad that I was here for this one.
1: We are glad you were here for this one as well. Are you going to keep up with Breath of the Wild?
2: That's a no question. I love that game.
0: Well, there you go. Expect to see more of Sir Jackson Willoughby right here on the Sacred Realms podcast. You guys ready to get out of here? I am ready to get out of here, Lyndon. It's been a
1: fun time. It's a little chilly, but we've had good uh, cigars and good whiskey uh, with an E and without the E, if uh, however you choose to spell it, uh, to keep us company.
0: Yep. Alrighty. Well, in that case, let's get into the outro. If you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash pod to become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it is not a problem. Five star Apple podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind the scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on A Link to the Past in its totality, doing a recap episode. We would love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. If you have not beaten it yet, you've still got time. A Link to the Past can be played on a variety of Nintendo eShops. It can be played on the Game Boy Advance. It can be played on the original Super Nintendo. It can be played on the Super Nintendo Classic, or it can be played via the online subscription on the Nintendo Switch, which is the version that we're playing. In the meantime, may your hearts be full. May your arrows never miss. We'll catch you guys next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameShops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.